0: Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Peter Schwanda. And I think that some of you know that in addition to serving as a priest here at Christ the King, I also serve as director of training for a ministry called FOCUS. FOCUS is a ministry uh, that works with independent school students, so students at boarding uh, and private day schools. And during the school year, we offer Christian fellowship groups in these private school settings. And during the summer, we have programs for students, which Uh, Like many summer camps, they are lots of fun, but they also have the purpose of either evangelism, discipleship, service and mission, or leadership training. One of the favorite parts of my job is at the end of every summer, all of our staff who have been serving in smaller groups on these student programs come together for a retreat uh, at our study center property on Martha's Vineyard. Everyone comes back We share a celebratory dinner, and we spend our first evening just sharing stories from the summer. Testimonies, snapshots of how we've seen God at work while we've been off working together, celebrating God's goodness. More than just a business meeting or a report out on how the programs went and how many people attended, it's a chance to share with each other the joy of what we've experienced Today in our gospel reading in Mark 6, we see that while the disciples were sent out in last Sunday's reading, today they are called back and they report back to Jesus. If you have your pew Bible uh, and Mark 6 and you want to verify uh, as we follow along, I'll make some notes with regards to the verses which come before. You can also find some uh, brief notes on the inside of your service leaflet. Last Sunday's reading ended with this summary of the the apostles being sent out. It said, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And today's reading we see picks up with the apostles returning to Jesus. And the story that follows, while familiar probably to most of us, helps us answer Mark's primary question, the question of who is Jesus? But before we get to that question, let's take a look at the context. So first, we see in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Can you imagine that conversation? The disciples have been sent out, perhaps a bit skeptical that the power that Jesus had given them was actually going to come to fruition. And they've been given power to preach, to cast out evil, and to heal. Can you imagine the excitement as they came back together? Remember that they were sent out in twos, and so not only were they probably excited to report back to Jesus, but they were probably excited to check in with the other apostles. Hey, did this work for you? Did God, did God do something wherever you were sent? I can imagine some of what that conversation might have been like. I wish, I wish that Mark gave us a little bit of a recording in our gospel, but I imagine that a good summary was, Jesus, we had so little— but you did so much. Remember the packing list from last week? He told them all the things not to take on their journey. Jesus, we had so little, but you did so much. Now, I don't know if I were in their shoes if I would have been optimistic as I was sent out or pessimistic. I think sometimes we are tempted, uh, not just as Christians, just as humans, to either be critically pessimistic or naively optimistic. I read a quote this week from missionary Leslie Newbegin who says this, and I think it's appropriate, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. As Christians, we don't need to gravitate or be sucked in to despair or into some sunny optimism, instead we can just acknowledge the reality that God is at work, and from what we see the disciples doing, we could be encouraged to share stories with each other of God at work. One of the things we do regularly here at Christ the King is we have an opportunity to hear at most services from a parishioner sharing a story of how God's been at work in some aspect of their life or a ministry of the church. Now, the disciples return to Jesus, and I'm sure that they're also, while excited, quite tired. They've been sent out in twos, they've had spiritually exhausting work, they've had to depend on the hospitality of others, they've been staying in people's homes, and even while they were traveling lightly, they come back quite weary. And Jesus knows this. He knows they've been so busy in their comings and goings that as they return, they don't even have time for a bite to eat. And he says, come, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They were worn out from the work that they've been given given us to do, the work that they had been given to do, just like we are worn out sometimes from the work that we are given to do. And so, in Mark's matter-of-fact style, he says, so they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so, our Lord often speaks to us when we're worn down, when we're tired, when we need a pause for refreshment, When we're tired from the ordinary challenges of life, we hear the words, come to me, all who are heavy laden and need rest. The one who sends us out gathers us back to himself and he offers this rest. Now, if you happen to grab your pew Bible, you'll notice that last week's reading ended at verse 13 with the apostles being sent out. And this week's reading picks up at verse 30. And a quick glance down at the passage or some simple math will tell you that we missed out on verses 14 through 29. Well, what happened? It's actually a significant story, and the summary of it is that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has been put to death, beheaded because of a grudge at a lavish and extravagant king's dinner party. Jesus, as he met up with the disciples, was likely exhausted, grieving, in need of a rest in a whole different way. And so they go away. But the calm is shattered because what happens? As soon as they take off by boat, the men hoist up and they start to run. Now remember that in, in this culture, running for men would have been actually a, a fairly shameful act. So there is something urgent about them wanting to see and follow Jesus. And they run ahead and they get there before the boat even lands ever gone on vacation and as soon as you touch down or show up at the vacation house your phone rings with one more call from work and then it distracts your thoughts for the next three days it's like it takes a week just to I imagine that that's a little bit how they felt and so as we come to this crowd that meets them on the shore let's consider Jesus's response probably not the response we would have if we had an interruption like that, but it's Jesus' response that reveal his character and his very identity to us, which is why Mark tells the story in this way. So in Mark, the central question as Mark tells his gospel is this question, who is Jesus? The disciples were thinking it, the crowds were surely asking it. As we read through it, we too probably have that question in our minds. Now, first, we see from some of the details of the story that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not Elijah. He's not Moses. If you looked at that passage about John the Baptist, you'll see that even then they, they, they think that he could, be, he could be John the Baptist come back from the dead later on. The king thinks, who is this guy? He's not a prophet. Neither is he a populist politician trying to just rally up the crowds. He actually, when the crowd shows up, he withdraws with a small group of his followers. He's not seeking power and political prestige. And he's also not a military leader. Now we don't know exactly from the details of the story, we know it was a large group of men. We know that there were some at that time in Israel who had designs on Jesus thinking that he would be a military leader, that he would be a messiah who would overthrow the powers of oppression. But Jesus wouldn't be forced into that role either. So this morning, I want to not just talk about who Jesus is not, but let's talk about who Jesus is. And I think Mark highlights three aspects of Jesus's identity. One drawing from the Old Testament and the Psalms, another from one of the greatest leaders of Israel, and another from a familiar image later in Mark's gospel. So first, Jesus is the compassionate good shepherd. Look at verse 34 with me. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the the word here uh, in Greek for compassion is one that is only used to talk about Jesus or in parables where there is a clear Christ figure, like the good Samaritan who was moved to compassion. It means that Jesus was inwardly moved. This wasn't some, well, I guess the crowd showed up. Let's handle this problem, and then I can get away the disciples. He's inwardly moved. He's redirected out of love for these people. And that's because the Lord is the good shepherd. He's the one who cares for our souls, who guides us. If you turn to uh, the front of your service leaflet, we see a, a rendering of the 23rd Psalm. Jesus is the the good shepherd who leads us by still waters, who restores our soul, whose presence is our stay, who brings us beside the living stream. He's the Lord who can set us down in green pastures when he knows what type of rest and nourishment we need. And he began to teach them many things. I imagine if you were one of the disciples exhausted, the crowd shows up, you'd think, oh man, well at least we can listen in with the crowds. And so they do, but then it gets late and Jesus keeps teaching and people grow restless and hungry and hangry. You can almost hear a bit of accusation in the disciples' voices. They say to Jesus, This is a desolate place. Jesus, this place that you brought us, we're in the middle of nowhere, there's no food. My wife Mimi loves to tell a story about uh, one of the first times she went with her family to Maine, which happens to be the state that I'm from. And they felt as if when they crossed into the state of Maine, there was no food place to be found on the highway. There was nothing to be found, as if it was the, the far reaches of the earth. I can assure you it is not. The lobster just jumping up out of the sea to be eaten, but that, it felt like they were in the middle of nowhere and the, and, and the disciples are saying, Jesus, you've brought us here, middle of nowhere, there's no food. Send these people away. These disciples who have been sent off in a different way by Jesus and then have had the joy of being gathered back to Jesus, instead of saying, oh, this is great, more people, come, come, enjoy the presence of God and Jesus. They say, hungry, why wait? Send them away. But let's not not be too hard on the disciples. Let's admit that in them we see a bit of ourselves. And let's remember that one of the roles of a good shepherd is to feed the sheep. Yes, to guide them. Yes, to lead them. Yes, to protect them, but also to feed them. So when Jesus says, You give them something to eat. He's saying, don't send them off to fend for themselves. Sheep who fend for themselves are not sheep for much longer. Sheep who are sent off on their own, without the protection of a shepherd, without the flock, do not last long. But the disciples go into problem-solving mode, definitely the way that I would have handled it. Jesus, so if we were to go out, say we could find a place where they actually had enough food. Then it would cost, carry the one, 200 denarii, a whole lot of money in order to get a whole lot of food for these people. Jesus, we've got very little and we need a lot. But Jesus confronts their scarcity mindset of saying, we don't have enough for you to do something, God. And he corrects them with this great example that many of us probably first heard from a children's Bible or a children's story. He says, go do a count, see what what food there is five loaves, two fish. There's little time left in the day, there's little food available, but a little is a lot in Jesus' hands. He takes that little food and he feeds the crowd. He takes the little bit of faith and he works a miracle. Because the good shepherd is the one who makes much of a little, that values even the little one sheep who's apart from the 99. He's the one who values little and makes a lot. He's the good shepherd that the gospel of John says has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. Look down at our reading and see how abundant this meal was. And they all ate and were satisfied. And leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers, So for any who need rest, who need nourishment, whether for you that means physical nourishment this morning, whether it's emotional rest, whether it's spiritual nourishment, Jesus is the good shepherd, and he wants to provide for you abundantly. So even if it feels like you come with a little, remember that little that you come to Jesus with, even if it's nothing— is a lot in Jesus's hands, the Good Shepherd. Now, the details of this story also point us to another image from the Old Testament. First, look down at some of these details. You see that there are twelve baskets. You see that they—it's it's green grass. You see the number of people. Now, this should signal to us that Mark was relying on eyewitness accounts, and it's believed that he was relying on Peter and that as he wrote this gospel, he was writing it to the church in Rome, who found themselves in their own wilderness persecution under Nero. In the wilderness, needing God to provide. But that's a theme that should, we should say, I've seen that before. This isn't the first time that God has fed and provided for his people in the wilderness. Think of another 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Think of another leader who brought God's people across the water. Think of another people who found themselves in the wilderness after being delivered by God, and what did they do? They grumbled about food! Ding, ding, ding! Mark is saying, pay attention here, what God has done before he's going to do again, because I am sending to you someone who is greater than Moses, who will do even greater things in delivering my people. So just as God provided manna, this bread from heaven in the wilderness, Jesus here provides bread and fish, in abundance. Now remember that the the progression of a good teacher is first, watch what I do, then do what I do with me, and now do it on your own. The disciples were sent out to do it on their own, and they had some success, and they reported back to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, now you do it. Here's the fish, here's the loaves. And they do what we probably would have done. They clam up. They don't believe. They have little faith. They tally the numbers and say, God, it doesn't add up. But the good news is that God's grace is a flexible grace. That God works through us even when we, what we bring to Jesus is very little. When God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt, he's still gracious with them even when they complain. And God's Flexible grace is revealed when he feeds his people. Now, the Exodus was the defining event for the people of Israel. It was was the event in their national history. But for Jesus' people, for us as Christians, he gives us a new event. He gives us a new meal that will be our defining event. Remember the, the confusion that people had about who Jesus was. Was he a prophet? Was he like Elijah? Was he like Moses? Jesus corrects this misunderstanding by having this comparison to Moses, saying, you've seen this before. And what happened? They kept wandering in the desert. But now comes Jesus, who provides in the same way, but is going to provide an even greater deliverance. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. In the Gospel of John, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have one who is greater than Moses. And the freedom that Jesus offers to us, the freedom from the slavery of sin, is greater than the freedom that Moses offered. His love is greater, his power is greater, his obedience is greater, his truth and his grace is greater. And thanks be to God that His grace is a flexible grace. That even when we misunderstand who He is, even when we don't fully trust who He is, God desires to show us His grace. So we have the compassionate, good shepherd. And we have the one who is greater than one of the shepherds of Israel, Moses. Because Jesus ultimately... Is more than both of those images. That Jesus is the God himself in the flesh who provides and saves. Now it's really good news that God feeds his his imperfect people because we are those imperfect people. That just as he did for Israel in the wilderness, just as he did for uh, this crowd on the hillside, that he will do for us. Look down at our reading at verse 41. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Look at the verbs. He took, he blessed, that is, he gave thanks to God. He broke, he gave. Does this sound familiar? Later in Mark's gospel, at the Last Supper, gathered with his disciples for another meal, Mark records these words. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. If you flip to page six in your service leaflet in our communion liturgy, we'll hear that story told again. It's the story of God providing for us, of giving us a meal in the wilderness of our lives. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. And those are significant words, but what's especially significant about them is that they actually, at the time, were commonplace. Those were the normal words, the normal actions of a Jewish father at a family meal, that he would, he would take the bread or the food, that he would bless it, that is, he would give thanks to God for it, that he would break it, and that he would give it to the family. And so as we celebrate our family meal, let's remember who our Father is. That Jesus not only gives us physical nourishment, not only feeds this crowd, but gives us spiritual nourishment. Provides not only for the practicalities of life, but for the deep needs and desires of our souls. Jesus took his life with the blessing of the Father. He's broken for you at the cross and he gives himself to us, to you, to me, because he's a God who saves us from death, but not just that, he promises us resurrection. And one of the great images that scripture gives us is that our future with God in eternity will be a great banquet, a great meal. Not the the king's lavish banquet where John the Baptist is beheaded, but a true feast with a true king where we will experience true freedom. And so towards the end of our service, we will pray. We thank you God for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ, amen.